Well, we are in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, as you know, we've been going through this chapter and we're actually coming to an end of, uh, of this book. We're going to come to an end of, uh, of the book of the law of the Torah and we're going to get into Joshua and it's just uh, also going to be uh, just a blessing to, uh, to move forward into another section of the Bible. But before we go there, we know that there's so much that the Lord wants to share with us as we go through his word. And today we're actually going to be talking about the power of confession. That's what we're going to be talking about, confession. We're going to be talking about the power that's associated with it. And I want to remind you of something because I think we're all very familiar with this. You know, when we look at ourselves and we look at our lives, we know that we offend people, don't we? We know that we do things against people. We know that we harm people either by our words, by our actions, however it may be. And sometimes we may not even be aware of the harm that we do to others. But we know that it happens. And that happens because we're, we're people. And, and you know what? Being in these bodies of ours, we know that we mess up. And, and in our mess ups, we will offend people. And so one thing that we're going to see today is, is what happens with confession. The things that, that take place when you ask somebody for forgiveness when you come to them, you know, in just a broken state of telling them, you know what, I'm sorry. You know, how have you felt when you've held, you know, when there's something between you and somebody else and, and you know that they've offended you and they come and tell you that they're sorry? How is it that you feel? You know what, it's liberating, isn't it? It feels great and you know that there's a restoration that takes place between you and the other person because of the confession that has been made. See, confession will bring freedom, and ultimately, when we confess, when we have our confession to the Lord, when we confess our sins to the Lord, it makes things right with Him. And so I want to talk about the power of confession. Before we get into the Word, I just want to talk about confession. That way it prepares us for what God wants to share with us when it comes to this topic. I want to give you a scripture. It's from Proverbs 18, verse 21. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says there, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's think about that, right? Let's meditate on this scripture. Let's, let's meditate on what it's saying there. It's saying that death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, when we look at our relationship with the Lord, one thing that we know is that confession will bring life. Let's talk about this. Let's think about what I'm saying there. Confession brings life. See, when we confess our sins to the Lord, when we come to the Lord and we tell Him we're sorry and you know what, we're surrendering our lives to Him, you know what, there's something that happens. There's a supernatural work that takes place. The supernatural work that takes place is called salvation. See, when you and I finally come to the end of ourselves and we say, Lord, you know what? I am sorry. I'm sorry for the sins that I've done against you. I'm sorry for everything that I've, that I've done towards you. And you know what? I'm just surrendering myself and giving my life to you in faith. You know, in Romans 10, verse 10, we all know this scripture. And we all use it when we talk to others about, you know, making things right with the Lord and as it says, therefore, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is what we're talking about, this confession, this, this you know, what this confession that we give to the Lord, how it just brings this salvation onto our lives. And we know that the gift of eternal life is received when we do this. 
But if there is no confession, let's think about this, right? What if we never confessed our sins to the Lord? What if we never said, you know what, Lord? I know I've done wrong, and I know I'm a sinner, and I think we all know that. But you know what? I'm not going to confess my sins to you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to come to you in faith. You know, what happens in that case? What happens if we don't confess our sins? Then one thing we know is that it's going to bring forth death. You know, the scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death. And this is what happens when we don't come to the Lord, you know, by, uh, in faith and, and confess ourselves, confess our sins to him. See, the words of confession, as we read in Proverbs, they are the most important words that you will ever speak. This is why we give you the opportunity at the end of service to make things right with the Lord. This is why we allow you to say, you know what, Lord? You know what? Yes, I'm sorry. You know what? I've sinned against you. And whatever convictions the Spirit of God has brought upon your life, it's that time to make things right with the Lord. It's that time to say, you know what? I want to commit or recommit my life to you because I've done things that have separated me from you. And this is that confession that we're talking about. When we look further into confession, I want you to understand this. When it comes to the Lord, when we come to the Lord confessing our sins, does this automatically bring forgiveness upon our lives? The answer is yes, if you truly mean it. Understand that it is yes if you come with a heart that is just surrendered and broken and just wanting to do things right with him. See, I want to read to you another scripture. And for us, you know what, it's important that we understand, you know what, what it means to truly confess, what it means to truly repent. Because there are many people, I'll share this with you, many people will say, you know what, yes, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. And you know what, they just do it as an insurance because the preacher's saying, hey, if you want to get into heaven, you got to confess. You got to make things right with the Lord. And many people raise their hands because they just want to do that and they want to make things right, but they really don't mean it. They're just thinking that, you know what, these words that I'm saying are automatically going to make me right with him. I'm going to read to you from Proverbs 28, verse 13. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says that he who covers his sins will not prosper. Again, remember the covering up of sin when we don't confess. But it goes on to say, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. In other words, if you confess your sins and you forsake them, the sins, then you will obtain mercy and forgiveness, a kindness. Even though we've offended God, He's still going to receive us. He's still going to forgive us. That's what mercy means. We're going to have this, right? See, as we read this word, or this verse, I should say, there's that word forsake. Okay, we got to look at this word forsake because this is critical when it comes to our confession. What I was sharing with you earlier, right? We got to, it has to be heartfelt. It has to be truly from within us. What does forsake mean? Forsake means to abandon. It means to leave behind. It means to give them up. See, you and I must come to a place when we confess our sins, that if we truly mean it, what we're going to do is, we're going to walk away from these sins. That's what repentance means, right? It means that I acknowledge my sin, and in acknowledging the sins that I have, I'm no longer going to walk in these sins. I'm no longer going to do these sins. See, I'm going to turn away from these sins, and this is when God is merciful. That's the Scriptures tell us. God brings that forgiveness, right? 
See, you and I, we need to come to a place to say, yes, you know what? I am sorry and I mean it and to turn away from these sins. You know, because we're all going to have the opportunity to walk in these sins again, right? We're going to, you know, we know that the devil is going to continue to attack us and he's going to attack us even more because we want to draw closer to the Lord. And so in doing this, you know what, we're going to have these temptations, but we know that God's word tells us that he always gives us a way of escape. In other words, we have the ability to walk away from them. We don't have to do these sins anymore. And if you really, and if you've come to a place of confession, of true repentance, then you're not going to do them anymore. You may slip up and fall, but you're not going to walk in them anymore. You're going to do everything that's in your power no longer to live out the life that you used to live. See, when it comes to God, God doesn't want us playing games. He doesn't want us playing games with Him. He wants us to have that heartfelt uh, surrender and confession. See, for us, we just can't you know what? Confess and then go on, go on and do the same things that we used to do. See, otherwise it's not real. You know, it's just that insurance policy that you're doing just to make things right because the preacher said and because the Word of God says. But if you confess and then you walk back in these sins, and is it true repentance? See, God knows. And we can't play games with God. See, the evidence of heartfelt confession will be a transformed life. Understand that. The evidence of true confession is the fact that, you know what, that you're no longer walking in these sins, right? That's the evidence of our faith, uh, of our surrender, of our faith in God, is that we're no longer going to walk in these sins. We're going to have transformed lives, and the transformed lives are going to be evidence for all. These are the fruit that we're bearing, the good fruit that we bear. And these good fruit that we bear is for others to see, for others to handle, for others to receive, for others to take, you know, uh, uh, just uh, to, to take and eat of as they see the fruit that our lives bear. You know, when I talk about confession, you know, I've always remembered, you know what, who remembers and who grew up in religion, in the Catholic religion? I think most of us, right? Most of us that are in here grew up. I mean, I know not everyone, but most of us did. And I always remember this. I always remember those confession boxes, right? You remember when you used to go into the confession box? How quiet and somber it was in there, right? I mean, it was so quiet in there that if anything fell out of your pocket or if you moved or shook your keys, I mean, you can hear it. It was loud, right? And you could even hear yourself breathing. Do you remember that? And I think most of us would go into the confession box, right? And we would always be nervous, right? We would always be like, you know what, like just terrified. I remember I used to go in there and I'd be like, and I'd be repeating and, and just repeating everything I had to say because I, I didn't want to forget my sins, right? So I would have them in my mind, repeating them so that when the priest would, remember, move that little door, that he would say, what would you like to confess? What would you like to say? And everything you rehearsed in your mind, all of a sudden you'd be saying it, right? You'd be repeating it over and over again. And then you know that what would happen the following week or the following month, you'd be doing the same thing and you'd be going back to the confession booth, right? And then if the priest knew who you were, he'd say, you're in here again. You're doing the same thing again. Let's talk about that, right? Let's talk about this continual confession. You know, 
when it comes to us, I want you to understand one thing. When it comes to Christians, when it comes to your salvation, you only need to come to the Lord once. Okay? If it's real, you come to the Lord once. If maybe you fell back into the world, then you come back. Or you're practicing sin and you come back. But I want to talk about this, right? I want to talk about the continual confession because, see, the Word of God does talk about continual confession. And I want to explain this to you because I, I don't want us to get the wrong idea that we got to keep surrendering our lives to the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. See, it's that one time that you do it is all that is needed. And I want to give you the example. I want to give you the example of from this, from the Scriptures. And in order to do this, I want you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And I know that many of us have read this before. And many of us know, even if we're not, you know, students of the Bible, I think that many of us know of this event that took place. In John, chapter 13, it talks about the washing of the disciples' feet. See, the obvious message, we all know the obvious message, and the Lord said, the obvious message from the washing of the disciples' feet is about being what? Being servants, right? That's the obvious message. But there's also another message that we have here. See, the other message that we have is the fact that Jesus wants to remind us of something that is so important when it comes to our relationship with him. Let's read verse 1, and let's, let's get a sense of what's going on here. It says there, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You know, that's so amazing. When I read this, I just, I'm re- we're reminded of God's love for us to the very end. Verse 2 goes on to say, And supper being ended, the devil had already put in, put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Imagine that. Jesus Christ girding himself like a servant, like a slave. You know what? I mean, that just, I mean, it's just amazing what the example that the Lord leaves us. Verse 5 goes on to say, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Imagine that. Peter saying, You ain't going to wash my feet. You're my master. Why is a master going to wash his servant's feet? And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's saying, bathe me, wash me all, right? I want to be a part of you. I want to be yours. Verse 10 goes on to say, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. See, what we have here is a reminder of what Jesus is talking about. When he's talking about being completely clean, he's saying you've been bathed. You've you've already been bathed and you don't need to be bathed again. 
And what Jesus was saying is that you've already been washed by the blood of Jesus. You know what? You've been washed clean. You are white as snow when you surrendered your life to me, when you gave yourself to me. You know what? My cleanness, my holiness, my purity, my righteousness came upon you. Have you ever seen something that is so white? You know, I have some people here wearing white shirts. But have you ever seen a shirt that is so white that it just seems, it's so bright? You know what? When it comes to us, that's the way we are. We're just white as snow to God the Father. When he looks at us, that's the way he sees us, right? Think of a shirt that is so white that there's nothing on it, right? That's the way we are, right? There is no more sins written on that layer of sheet, of shirt, whatever sheet, whatever you want to call it. See, before we came to the Lord, I mean, we could bring out a roll of, of just a blanket, right? And you couldn't even fill the blanket with the amount of sins that we did. But what Jesus does is that he throws that in the washer and throws Clorox major clocks in there so that when it comes out, all the stains are gone, all the sins are gone, and there's nothing in there. And what comes out is this pure white blanket or shirt, whatever it is. See, one thing that we know, and this is what Jesus was saying here, even though you are white as snow, what happens to us is that we get dirty in this world, don't we? There's things that we do, not that we practice it or not that we want to do it, but we do it, right? Who had a bad thought this morning? I think every hand should go up. If your hand isn't up, you need to confess after service. I know I had bad thoughts. See, this is what happens to us when we're here. When we're walking in this world, when we're in this world, and one thing that we know is that you know, as the Lord tells us in Philippians 1.16, the work that he started in us, he's going to complete it, but it's not going to be completed until we're in the presence of God, right? See, we're going through a sanctification process, and what that means is that we're becoming more like Jesus as time goes on. You know, we're beginning to sin less. Before we were sinning, and we didn't even know how much sin we were doing. We knew we were just doing things that were wrong. And it was just part of us, right? Part of our nature. It was like we couldn't... We could, we, a lot of us could care less, right? We, you know what? Who cares? I'm going to sin, and so what? How many of us had those thoughts before? I think many of us did, right? I know it's wrong, but you know what? I enjoy it. I'm going to do it. It feels good. So I'm going to sin. See, one thing that Jesus reminds us is that, as he says, is that we're going to pick up stains along the way. See, we know that that he was telling Peter, you know what? Even though you've been bathed, what happens to you is that as you walk in this world, your feet get dirty. You know, you pick up these stains. You know, what they attach onto your feet. And it's not like, you know what, like you can brush them off. You know, you can't clean them off. It's like you try, right? You take off stains and you can't take them off. How is it that these stains come off? How is it that these feet that are dirty and smelly and stinky, how is it that you can clean and take off that stench out of it? What we've been talking about is confession. See, this is how it happens. See, you and I clean our feet through confession. See, when we confess our sins to the Lord, 
This is what happens, right? See, you and I are in agreement with the Lord that, you know what, I, I've sinned and I have the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's reminding me of my sin and so I need to confess. And this is what John talked about. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, we have it in verse 8. In verse 8, it says there, The reason I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 8. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is what we need to be doing, right? This is what we do when we sin. This is what happens to us. As John reminds us to tell us that, you know what? If we think that none of us have sinned, then we're liars. But we're supposed to confess our sins, right? This is what the Lord is reminding us of here when he talked to Peter about washing his feet. It's a reminder that you and I, we need to be confessing. You know, we need our feet to be cleaned again and we need to do this so that we're not contaminated by the sin see if we're not no longer having the conviction of the holy spirit or an agreement with god when it comes to our sin then we're falling backwards aren't we and god wants us to come forward and what's so amazing about this is that this confession it brings a complete cleansing as he says, as he says that, you know what, as he tells us that once again, we're cleansed of all unrighteousness because it's, we've been contaminated by sin. As we look at this, right, where did this come from? As we review this confession, as we review the bathing and, and the, uh, the, the fact that we could get dirty in this world, you know, it all came from the priest that would be in the tabernacle and the temple. There was something that the priests had to do before they were able to serve as priests in the tabernacle and the temple. You know what they had to do in order to serve as priests? When they were consecrated, when they were set apart to do the Lord's work, you know what they would do? Is they would have a complete baby. Did you know that the priests, they would have to bathe themselves from top to bottom, from head to toe. They would have to have a complete cleansing. You know, they'd have to get that water and wash them clean, right? Did you know that that was the only time that they needed to be washed? It wasn't like the Lord told them and commanded them because he can tell them to do whatever he wanted, but he never commanded the priests to be bathed a second time. See, in Exodus 29, verse 4, it says there, it tells us, it says, And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. That was the requirement in order to serve. They had to be completely washed. Just like Jesus talked to Peter, right, about having that bathe, about having that bath, right, that you only need to be bathed once. But you know what he told the priest? He says, you know what? When you do come in to serve me, though, you know what you got to do? You're going to have to wash your hands and feet 
before you serve me. Anytime you come into the tabernacle or the temple, anytime you come in to do any type of service for me in the Holy of Holies or in the holy place, you're going to have to wash. Let's open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. And you're going to see this. In Exodus chapter 30, it's in verse 17. In Exodus 30, verse 17, it says there, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a labor of bronze, with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water for, from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die and it shall be a statue forever to them, to him and to his descendants throughout the generations. Do you see that confession, how important that is? Or the washing, how important that was? See, they had to do this. They had to wash their hands and their feet. Just like the Lord says, hey, if you don't let me wash your feet, Peter, then you have nothing to do with me. This is the importance of confession. See, when we get dirty, that, that means that, you know what, our feet get dirty. And that means that we're still having the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. See, when we know that we're doing wrong and when we're in agreement with God that, you know what, I'm sinning, I must confess. Otherwise, my heart is growing cold. And I'm thinking that I'm so perfect now that I don't need the Lord or I don't need to be washed by Him anymore. One thing that we know, as we read, is that He said you only needed to be bathed once. Think about this, right? And I'm going to give you an example here. How many of you have been around somebody that's bathed themselves only in a, in a week? I mean, that it's been a week since they bathed themselves. And I think, I don't know if you, but I know I've done that in the past when I was younger. How is it that they are to you when they've only been bathed in a week? You can smell them, right? They're like a, they have a stench about them, right? Because that's just our body odors, right? We we work and we sweat and because, you know, we live in California, especially here, right, the sun be, burns down at us and we're sweating. And when we're out there, right, we do sweat. And, and you know what? Understand this, that when we sweat and when we're dirty, you know what? We need to be bathed, right? See, when we work and labor in sin, the way we were before, that's the same way. When it comes to the Lord, though, he says, you know what, for me, once you've been bathed, I don't smell you anymore. Even if you haven't bathed in a year or two years, to me, you're a sweet aroma because of that one washing, because of that one bath. See, for us, we couldn't stand one another, right? If we were <laughs> to be with each other, we hadn't been bathed in a week. But we know for the Lord, to him, even though we're stinky, even though to us we're stinking, we're beautiful to him. I want us to begin to read now in Deuteronomy 26. And we're going to look at three confessions that the Lord asked his people to do. There were three types of confession that he said. And these three types of confession that he said 
he asked them to do and he wanted them to do. And let's read about the first one. It's in, in the first one, is we're going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 12. It says there, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your hand, from your land, that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses chooses to make his name abide and you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him i declare today to the lord that your god that i have come to the country which the lord swore to our fathers to give us then the priest shall take the basket out of our hand out of your hand and lay it down before the altar of the lord your god and you shall answer and say before the lord your god my father was a syrian about to perish and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place, and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Let's finish there. Let's stop there. What we have here is first a confession of God's faithfulness and God's goodness. See, the Lord was asking of his people that as they worked the land, the Lord abundantly blessed them. See, he brought produce like no other. We know that the land of Canaan, which is now Israel, it was a land flowing with milk and honey, right? I mean, remember when they brought those grapes at do you remember the story of when they went into Jericho uh, and they went in to spy out the land? And what happened in there was that they brought back fruit to show them the type of fruit that was there. And did you know that they brought these grapes back that they couldn't just, you know, when we, when we buy grapes from the supermarket, right? We, brought, we buy these grapes and we can hold them up and, and we can carry them and they're in little bags. And when we get them, we pull them out of the vine and we eat it, right? Well, did you know that those grapes were so big and so heavy that they had to carry it with a stick? That's how abundant this fruit that was there. And so what the Lord said is that as you go into this land, I'm going to bless you. It's me that blesses you, right? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow this fruit to be abundant. And when you work the land, I will produce it. And what I want you to do when you get your first fruits, your first produce, I want you to bring them and give them to me. This is what the Lord was saying. And we know that he wanted the first fruits of the land, right? Because this was their way of worshiping the Lord, right? It was the Lord that gave them all the fruit. So the Lord is just saying, just give me your first fruits. And so this was only to be done once, right? As the people, whoever worked the land and the Lord blessed them, then they would come and bring the fruit back. It was a, a way of acknowledging and thanking the Lord. So they were giving their confession of faithfulness, 
and of his greatness. But what we see here is that the Lord was asking them to say much more than this, right? The Lord was reminding them of what they did before. See, for me, I'm reminded of this, right? I'm thinking, there are those times when the Lord wants you to remember what he took you out of. He doesn't want you to forget where you came from. Because, see, if we forget what we were and who we were, then we forget what God did, right, in our lives. We're forgetting the greatness and the miraculous work that God does in you and in me. None of us should be ashamed of who we are. We don't, you know, we don't rejoice in what we were, right? We sometimes mourn about what we were in the past, but we must remember who we were and what the Lord brought us out of. And he's reminding them of what happened to them, what they were to say, right? They were supposed to confess and repeat their history. This is what he asked them to do. He wanted them to repeat their history, right? And he says that, you know what? I want you to remember the time of Jacob. This is what he's telling them. He's saying that he's talking about Jacob here. The Syrian that he mentioned was, meant, was actually pointing to Jacob. And what he was telling them to do is he was telling them to review this life, right? Remember the fact that, that they were slaves there and that the Lord delivered them with great power and with great might. And he brought them into the promised land. And he wanted them to remember in order to give the Lord glory and honor for what he has done. See, when we think about this Syrian, because it was like, why would God call, or why would he want them to call Jacob the Syrian or the father of the Syrian? When we look at Jacob, right, when we look at the life of Jacob, Jacob left Haran, right? And when he left Haran, he went to find himself a wife. And what happened to Jacob is that he didn't find one wife, but he ended up finding two wives. And not that he wanted two wives, but he was tricked into having two wives, right? I mean, this wasn't his sin. It wasn't like, you know what, I'm, you know, like others that have chosen to do this, right? Actually, Jacob was tricked with his first wife. See, he wanted Rachel. He loved Rachel. Rachel was who he worked for, and he worked for 20 years, right, for her. We, we read about that. But see, his father Laban, who is the Syrian, Laban the Syrian, tricked Jacob. And when Jacob, you know, when he, you know, he marries her, they consummate the marriage, and he wakes up, and he looks at her, and he's like, ah, it's not Rachel. What happened to Rachel? It's actually his sister. See, we know that Jacob loved Rachel, and instead he was tricked into marrying Leah. And when we know this is that, I mean, as we read about that, we know that he worked and he wanted Rachel. And so remember when Jacob had the 12 sons, these are the 12 tribes of Israel, right? I mean, this is, from there came the nation of Israel. But we know that when he left there, right, he was, he was in this land for 20 years. And so this is a reminder of what Jacob went through because he was under Laban, his father-in-law, the Syrian, and his daughters were from here. And so this is where we have this reminder. We know as as uh, the Lord was speaking to, uh, to these people and to remind them to speak these words, to remind them that they were a small people. They were a small nation. Do you remember 
the story of Joseph, right? I think we all know the story of Joseph, right? Joseph was the favorite of Jacob, right? And we know that Joseph was a little prideful when he was young, and he brought envy and jealousy to his brothers, right? Because he was always, you know what, flaunting the fact that his dad loved him and the fact that he would be great. And so his brothers got jealous, and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're tired of you, Joseph. We're tired of your being dad's favorite and you receiving all these things and having that multicolored coat. I mean, it looks weird and funny on you, but you're flaunting it everywhere, right? We don't want to see it anymore. And so they, you know, they, they got rid of him. And so the father ends up being very saddened by this because that was his favorite, right? That was from Rachel. That was his first son from Rachel, the woman, the wife that he loved. And so he becomes saddened as the brothers take him and, and they, uh, they throw him in a ditch and he's left there. And, and they said, well, how are we going to let the dad, our dad know Jacob that, that his son is dead? Well, they ended up killing a, a wolf, or I think is what it was. I don't remember exactly what animal it was, but they killed it. And they end up bringing this, the multicolored coal with full of blood on it. And so they show it to the dad. And the dad is, you know what, he's just heartbroken. We know that his heart is, is aching because of the death of his son. So he doesn't know that Joseph is actually alive and Joseph becomes a, a prisoner and then he becomes, I mean, he becomes a slave and then he becomes a prisoner. And from there he rises to power, right? We all know the story that he becomes the second in command there because he interprets the dream of Pharaoh that no, uh, that no one else could do. And so what ends up happening there is because he is a second in command, we know that there's a famine and the brothers need to go to Egypt and, and they're reunited with their brother even though they don't recognize Joseph. But Joseph recognizes them. And so we end up, they end up reconciling and, and Jacob finds out that his son is alive. So what does Jacob do? Jacob goes back to Egypt. And it, the Bible tells us that there was only 70 people that went into Egypt. This is from the 12 sons. This is the 12 sons or kids and all of that. It was 70 people that go into Egypt. Remember how many people left out of Egypt? When the people left out of Egypt, when they were delivered by the hand of God out of the land of Egypt, there were about 2 million people. Can you believe that? From this small nation, and this is what God is reminding them, right? Reminding them of who they were before you were a small nation. There was nothing good in you. I didn't choose you because of anything that was good in you. I chose you because of my mercy and my grace towards you. It was my choosing. I wanted to choose you. And in choosing you, remember, you were nothing. But I made you into something great and powerful. And so this is what they're repeating. And this is what we have here. See, for us, when it comes to the provisions of God, you know what? Well, we are to pray also, right? I mean, how many times does the Lord remind us to be praying? You remember, as, you know, as, as we know from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, we have the model prayer, right? An example of how we should pray and remember about the bread. I mean, who's the one that gives us our bread? The Lord gives us our daily bread, right? It is the Lord that provides. And he says, you know, remember to say these things. Remember to, to give thanks in everything, right? For this is the will of God, as he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He tells us these things. He tells us to be grateful, to be thankful. You know what? To talk about his greatness. He talk about, you know, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You are the great I am. You are the great King. 
These are these are examples of prayers that he's asking us to do. Just a reminder of, of, you know what, of confessing and speaking these things about him. There's going to be a second confession, and let's read that as we're running out of time. In verse 12 it says, When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your great gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to your fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the second confession. And what is the second confession about? The second confession is all about loving others. Remember that. That's this confession about me loving others. The first one was all about God, right? And now this one is about providing for others, right? One thing about the Lord is He loves those that can't help themselves. And He's always asking us to help those that can't help themselves, to be there, to stand in the gap for these people, which are the orphans, which are the fatherless, which are the strangers, which are the widows, right? This is who He's asking us to defend, to be there for to stand in the gap for them. And this is what the Lord was saying. He was saying, you know what? Every third year, what I want you to do, every third year, not just once, but every third year, I want you to bring a tenth of all the blessings that I give you. Imagine that. And I want you to store them up so that all the widows, the orphans, the strangers, those that come into the land that you guys reject because they're not a part of you, I want you to Bring in a tenth of all that you produce and store them up. Why? So that they can be taken care of. See, he was asking them to confess this, that I will do this. I will provide for them. This was their confession, right? See, this is what the Lord wants from us, right? He wants us to love God and he wants us to love others, right? And we are reminded of this, right? When we're not loving others... Ask the Lord, you know what, Lord, give me that heart. I'm sorry I haven't done what the second, you know, what entails in the second portion of the Ten Commandments, which is loving others the way I love myself. I'm sorry for not reaching out to others. I'm not, I'm sorry for not being there for others. I'm sorry. You know what, I knew somebody was in need and I did not help them. You and I are called to do this. And this is what he was reminding them. There's one final confession, right? But before I do that, I want to give you this verse. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, from John 15, 12. Let's go into the final commandment as we're running out of time. Let's read in verse 16. It says, This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God, and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you, that you should keep all his commandments 
and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. See, the final confession that we have that the Lord is asking his people to do is a confession of obedience. This is what he's asking them to do. He's asking them to confess, to give this confession of obedience to do, to him, to do as he says. Let me remind you of the confession that we make. You know, as the Lord tells us, and we know from Romans chapter 10, we read something in verse 10. I want to read to you something from verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What are you confessing here? You're confessing the Lord, right? You're confessing that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over what? Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is Lord over our lives. And if he's Lord over all and over your life, then you are to do what? You are to do as he says. You are to obey his commands. You are to live for him. And this is what he tells us in John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps him, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. How is it that you prove your love to Jesus Christ? By doing as he says, right? This is what he's telling us. You and I show the Lord how much we love him when we do as he says. See, one thing that we know about the Lord is we owe him so much as I mentioned to you in the past, I don't think you can truly understand, none of us here can truly fathom and comprehend all that we have received in Christ Jesus. I don't think any of us can fathom this. I don't think any of us can really, truly comprehend this because if we comprehended this, we would surely be living different lives, wouldn't we? If we knew exactly what we received from Jesus Christ, all the spiritual blessings, all the spiritual things, all that we received from him, we would not be who we are today. See, you and I, and God proclaims this, and this is what's so amazing. You and I, just as he tells his people here, right? He says, he says that you will be a special people to me. He says that I will set you high above all nations. He wants them to be a holy people. For him, set apart for him, right? Because how is it that people are going to know who you are apart from the world, right? They're going to see you and they're going to say, well, what's the difference between you? And it's going to be the way you live, the way you talk, the way you act. This is what sets us apart, right? As we do as the Lord says, because we're not following what the world says, right? We're actually doing contrary to what the world professes to do. You know what was so amazing? And I, my brother mentioned this to me the other day, and then I was talking to my mom about it. We were talking about the Pope, right? Did you hear what the Pope did or what the Pope said? Anybody know what the Pope said? Show of hands. A few of you. For those of you that don't know what the Pope said, the Pope says that, you know what, that he really has no problem in, in ordaining homosexual priests. And he really doesn't have an issue in ordaining now women as priests. The seed was planted. This is what he's saying, right? And why is he doing this? And I, and I talked to my mom about this, and 
And my mom, and and in talking to my mom about it, my mom mentioned. She says, "Well, she, he's doing it because this is really what's accepted now, right? This is really what the world is is wanting in our world today, right? To say that that lifestyle is good, and you know what? For the Catholic Church now, I mean, and we have they have millions and millions and millions of people, right, following them. Imagine." What the Pope says to them is the law, isn't it? This is what they believe, right? I mean, this is who walks around and who they kiss and who they obey and who they kneel down to, right? This is now the law for them. This is now the word of truth for them. It doesn't come from the word of God. We know that many things is what they say to be truth. See, you and I, we don't follow the world. No matter what the world says and what they say, just because they say it to be, doesn't mean that it's right. Remember that. See, you and I are not of this world. You and I follow and do as the Lord says, not as man says, right? Just because man says that this is okay, just because man has ordained the law in California now for there to be the sanctioning of marriage between people of the same sex, doesn't mean that we say, you know what, just because they say it's good and they say it's right, that we're also going to say it's right. We love them. I don't ever want you to think that in this church we don't not love those that are living that lifestyle. We love them. Understand that. Just like we were sinners. They're sinners too. Everybody's a sinner, right? Everyone falls short of the glory of God. But it doesn't mean that we condone, that we agree with that lifestyle. We don't love the sin. We don't agree with the sin. And this world is coming to a place where, you know what, if people are saying it's okay, then where is truth, right? Truth really is up to the person. Whatever I believe to be true is true, right? We have moved away from the truth of the Word of God. But for you and I, we're His holy people. We're His special people. We're a royal priesthood. We don't do what they say. We do what God says. We do what he commands us. We believe what he says because his word is truth. We know where we came from, right? Weren't we all living lies and weren't our lives headed for destruction? Every single one of us had that, right? You knew that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have surrendered yourself to the Lord. You wouldn't have come confessing your sins to Jesus Christ because you were fine. But we acknowledge the fact that we were sinners, that we fell short. And in falling short, we said, you know what? I'm tired because my life, the way I'm leading it, is headed for destruction. Instead, we said, you know what? I don't want to live this life anymore. I know my life was filled with lies. And when I read your truth, I am just being delivered and I'm being set free by your word. See, you and I, we were once in darkness. And now we've been brought into the light. You and I, at one time, didn't have the mercy of God. And now we've obtained that mercy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. This is who we are. We're no longer those same people anymore. You have been chosen by God. You are a priest now to 
give out the oracles of God to others by your words and by your lifestyle. You're a holy nation, a nation that God has set apart, a people that God has set apart, a special people, he says, not just any ordinary people, but a special people. Let us not forget this. Let us not fall into the ways of this world. Let us not begin to allow the ways of this world to dictate our lifestyles. Let us be the head and not the tail. What does the head do? The head leads, right? We want to lead people to God. We don't want to be following people into destruction. You know, I always used to share that with my kids. Growing up as kids, that was one thing that I always told them since they were little. I always told them, you guys are called to be the heads, not the tails. It may not be easy being the head because you're going to get much opposition. But know one thing, that you will lead people to Christ if you remain the head. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us how important confession is, Lord. Lord, your word says that we only need to be bathed once. But we know that we get our feet dirty, Lord. We know that as we walk in this world, we get stains on our feet, Lord. And these feet and these stains don't come off, Lord, unless we confess. As you reminded us today, Lord, that we are cleansed of all unrighteousness, Lord. And this can only come through confession, Lord. Lord, you tell us in your word, if we say we have no sin, we're liars. I'm sorry. If the Spirit of God has been convicting you of something that you've been doing that is wrong, if you have a sense and just agreement within yourself with the Spirit of God that that you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, and you want to confess them, and you want to make things right with God, this is what it's all about. The Lord doesn't want us to perish. The Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant and and to no longer see who we are. For us, if, if there's any sins that God has been convicting you of, or maybe you've never even been bathed, and, and you want to be bathed, or maybe now you want your feet to be clean, if you want those stains to come off, it's time to say yes to Jesus. It's time to come to him and confessing your, your sins to him and And if you want to do this, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this, you can do it now. If any of you have been dirty, if any of you have been walking and picking up dirt on your feet and you're being convicted, raise your hand. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, you saw these hands that went up. Lord, they want their feet clean, Lord. We know they've been bathed, Lord. 
Lord, whatever things they're doing, Lord, whatever thoughts they have or whatever actions they're, they're walking in, Lord. Lord, we know that your word cleanses them. We know that your word cleanses them of all unrighteousness, Lord. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for how awesome it is that we can have a right standing with you, Lord. That we can be white as snow, Lord. That, that, Lord, that's the way you, Heavenly Father, sees us. You don't see our sins. You don't see any of that. But you see us pure and holy. And that is because of the work of your Son and our faith that we've placed in him. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for, for just reminding us of this, Lord, and those that raised their hand, Lord. Lord, they know what they've done, Lord. And Lord, we know that, that Lord, that you've already done the, the cleansing already. You've already brought the Clorox out, Lord. And so we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all the work that you're doing, Lord, in and through us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for just uh, moving through us, Lord, and we thank you for revealing your truth to us. We want to give you praise, glory, and honor, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.